False teachers definitely overpromise and underdeliver. That's because what they teach really has no power. It's false, and it doesn't have the power of God. And so false teachers are being exposed in 2 Peter chapter 2 a little bit about how you can recognize them, what they look like, and what they're up to, and where they'll lead you. It's not a good place. It's not where you want to be. Peter will give us more insight in 2 Peter chapter 2. That's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. False prophets, just to backtrack for a second in 2 Peter 2.1, also arose among the people, just as there also there will also be, so it sounds like Peter is predicting this in some sense, although false teachers were certainly around, but he was also saying this is going to happen in the future. There will also be false teachers among you who will secretly or stealthily introduce destructive heresies. Now, I mentioned to you that when you look up the Greek word heresies, it's spelled a little different in the lexicons. It's the word hair, like the hair on your head, with an E-S-I-S at the end. And I give you a definition for the word heresy, and the word heresy could be defined as a strong-willed opinion. It's the idea of someone having a doctrine contrary to an essential teaching of the Christian faith, like the deity of Christ, salvation by grace, the essential doctrines, and someone who distorts or denies one of those fundamental doctrines. But it's interesting to think about the fact that when false teachers are talked about and identified by Peter, he says more about their conduct than he does about their concepts. And one of the reasons that false teachers brought blasphemy, the way of the truth was maligned because of them, was because of their lifestyle. If you've ever tried to talk to a person about the truth of Christianity, and maybe they were a hard case, maybe it was difficult for you to get through to them many times, and you probably have experienced this if you've done any level of witnessing at all, people will hang their head, their hat on the idea that the church is filled with hypocrites, and they will also state cases where pastors have fallen uh, Christians that they did business with that have the little fishy on their business card did them wrong. Somebody, you know, who claimed to be something did not live in concert with that claim. And there's no quicker way for someone to hang their hat on, I'm not gonna believe that stuff, than to watch someone who makes a profession without the possession of the change of life. Now, while it is true that every Christian is in a process of sanctification, there are people who claim to be Christians who really give Christianity a bad name because they don't really back up how they do life, if you will, with what they claim. And so when Peter gets into these examples of the false teachers, he says, they bring in destructive heresies. They deny, verse 1, chapter 2, the master who bought them. Some believe that the word master there has the idea that they deny his lordship. There's many people who want Jesus as Savior, but they don't necessarily want him as Lord. Amen? 
But the Bible says, if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, there's been a debate. If you've been around Christian circles, there's been some debates over the idea of lordship salvation. That is, you can't be saved unless Jesus is your Lord. Well, that's true, but we have to be a little bit careful because when you first get saved, you probably don't even know what making Jesus your Lord and King really means. But let me explain. The word Lord is kurios in Greek. That's the the major word used in the New Testament. It's K-U-R-I-O-S, kurios. And the word means master. And when you decide to become a Christian, you have switched masters. You are no longer now your master. Jesus is your master. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If you call someone your Lord, you're calling them your master. If he be master, you be servant. Amen? So you don't give your master a list of things that you don't do, like I don't do windows, I don't do dishes, just so you know. No, if you're going to call Jesus Lord, then he wants to be Lord of all. And the first place he wants to be Lord is right here in your heart. Because if he's Lord in your heart and there's a love relationship with the Lord, then everything else is going to follow. Now, there were two major movements, early expressions of something called Gnosticism, which took full form in the second century. The New Testament is written in the first century, but there were elements of it. And the two extremes were heavy legalism. You can't be saved unless you beat your body into submission. And even people were saying you have to keep the food laws of Moses and you got to be circumcised if you're a Gentile. And that was one extreme. And that's, that's wrong because salvation is not by works. It's by grace through faith. The other extreme was something called, and I've mentioned it to you before, antinomianism. It literally just means no law. And there were people going around in the first century that were saying grace is so wonderful, so incredible, that grace became a license to sin. So these people, if you look at, uh, let's see, what verse is it? They have turned the grace of God into licentiousness. I think it's actually in Jude's version of this. They use the grace of God as license to sin. They say something like this, since you can never exhaust God's grace, the more you sin, the more grace you bring into your life. Isn't that grand? No, it's not. Grace is sufficient for everything. You can not, never, uh, it keeps coming. It never runs out. But the thing is, you never use grace as an excuse for what? For sin. Because if you use grace as an excuse for sin, you're starting to take God for granted. Now, God knows that we're going to be in process, but he wants us to align our lives into what we say we are. And so these false teachers... By their sensuality, verse 2, many will follow their sensuality, their behavioral practices. Because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. That's literally the word blasphemed. Their motivation is greed. They exploit people with false words. And their judgment from long ago is not idle. It is coming. 
Their destruction is not asleep. Sometimes when you look at false teachers who have been at it for a long time, exploiting people for their own gain, you say, God, when are you going to take care of that? When are you going to judge that? Their judgment is not idle. It is coming. Three examples were given by Peter that God is patient, but then he does judge. Angels in verse 4. Maybe from the book of Genesis, chapter 6, we talked about that last time. The flood, God did not spare angels in verse 4. The ancient world in verse 5. And the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were brought to ashes. So you can think of angels, the ancient world, and the ashes of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's three A's, three examples given by Peter that God is patient, but his patience does what? Run out. And when it's time... And God says, it's now time to shut the door of the ark. The flood is coming. It's now time that the stench of Sodom and Gomorrah's sin has come into my nostrils and I'm now gonna judge and Lot, you need to get out of town and you need to take your family with you. This is what happens. Angels who left their proper domain were judged as well. It took some time, but God judged them. The same is true of the false teachers. And so the last example was of Lot in Sodom. And Lot was vexed by the character of the people he saw around him. And in verse 9, it says, "The Lord, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. If you're in a situation right now where you feel like you're you know, in a place like this, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation to keep you from falling and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Now, that's where we left off last time. We move into verse 10. And especially, or NIV, this is especially true of those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires. Now, the, the false teacher here, remember, a lot of the focus is not on the teaching per se in this chapter, but on the lifestyle. And there have been cults that have arisen. There have been uh, Movements that have Christian names to them. And when you got behind the door, behind the veil, there was a lot of corruption going on. There was greed going on, exploitation going on, all in the name of God. And just about every movement that has had this happen has had some sort of secular station do a special on it, right? And this is the leader, and this is what happened, and this is who was exploited. And it's all done in the name of God. There's many things done in the name of God that are not of God. And one day, God is going to work all of that out. Nobody's getting away with anything that has been done or twisted in the name of God. It's a dangerous game to use God's name for your own personal gain. And the people that do that will answer to him one day. Now, these, these who indulge the flesh with its corrupt desires, you might ask, what's the flesh? The flesh is that part of us in our human uh, selves, our human nature. The, the uh, NIV calls it, I think, the fallen or the sinful nature that has this bent towards doing wrong stuff. The flesh. We have a battle between the spirit and the flesh. And we don't always do the things that we want to do because of this battle. How do you deal with the flesh as a Christian? Well, the Bible gives you a remedy. Here's what it is. 
You're supposed to crucify it. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on The Armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you and you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. I think the fallen or the sinful nature that has this bent towards doing wrong stuff, the flesh. We have a battle between the spirit and the flesh. And we don't always do the things that we want to do because of this battle. How do you deal with the flesh as a Christian? Well, the Bible gives you a remedy. Here's what it is. You're supposed to crucify it. Crucify the flesh with its desires. Does that sound like a soft kind of, you know, maybe I'll, uh, I'll, I'll set a few things aside in my life? No, you're supposed to crucify the flesh. That, another way to put that, folks, is kill it. Don't give it any space. Go to Romans 13 for a second. Romans 13. Now, the false teachers have no intention of crucifying the flesh because they don't belong to Jesus. But this is the battle for the Christian. This is Romans 13, verse 12. Romans 13, verse 12 says, The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Romans 13, 12. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to what? In regard to its lust. The way Peter puts it is its corrupt desires. Now, there are desires that you have, God-given, that are legitimate. The God-given desires need to be fulfilled in God's way and God's time. If you look at one of the things that Peter said here, he talked about sexual promiscuity. There is a drive for intimacy. Unless you have the gift of singleness, there is a drive towards intimacy. God created that. His idea. And he created it that the two, a male and female, a wife and a husband, according to Genesis 2.24, would become one flesh. And there's a beauty to it. And there's the production of offspring because of it. And a closeness and a oneness that only a husband and wife can know. And that closeness and oneness is supposed to happen in the context of marriage. What has the world done? They've taken it out of God's time and out of God's plan and soiled it. And that is 
We have legitimate desires and then we have corrupt desires to indulge the flesh. We're to make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Here's something you need to know. Your flesh wants you to make provisions for it. Now, if you've ever gone on a hike or something like that, you take provisions. It might be bottles of water, granola bars, cookies, pudding cups. We're gonna go on a two-mile hike. I need, uh, I need a couple of bags of groceries, right? So you bring provisions, right? And you, the idea of, of, of provisions has the idea of forethought and supply. So you think ahead, if you're one of those planners, we always love you guys. You have everything in your purse that we need, right? And, and you think of the, the stuff, and so you've got it there, right? But when it comes to the provisions that your flesh wants, the corrupt desires, you are to make no provision for your flesh. You're not to give any forethought in supplying your flesh for the next indulgence. Now, I put this in the book, if you've read the book, Suit Up, and turn back to Second uh, Peter 2. And I, I said it this way. Maybe you came to the realization at some point in your Christian journey that you were doing just that. You were making provisions for your flesh. You were putting something that was a stumbling block in your life somewhere readily available and accessible for the next indulgence. And then you realize, I'm just playing a game. If I was really serious about getting this out of my life, I wouldn't put it in a closet or somewhere where, somewhere where it was accessible. I would get rid of it so that I couldn't indulge my flesh. Well, the false teachers dangle the carrot in front of these would-be converts. And they say something like this. Oh, if you join our group, there's no problem with you indulging in that way. You see, God loves everybody and God is a God of grace and that's true. So, but then here's where it's not true. So you can do whatever you want and you can join our movement and you can gratify the flesh and still be great with God. And somebody says, well, cool, where do I sign? You mean uh, I can have both? I can live in the world and still love God? I can gratify my flesh and still be good with God? Well, most people are going to say, well, I'm good with that. Where do I sign that contract? Because the Christian life, and I'm sure you've noticed, can tend to cramp one's lifestyle. <laughs> that is your old lifestyle. The Christian life demands change. We are being conformed into the image of who? Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is righteous and holy. It is a process, no doubt. We start off when we're born again of the Holy Spirit, we're little babies in Christ and we wanna grow. And then we get solid food and then we wanna be used by the Lord. And, and it doesn't mean that we don't sometimes take a step backward and skin our knee and fall on our face. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about movements that basically say, you can be a Christian and do whatever you want. You can have Jesus as your savior, but he doesn't necessarily need to be your Lord. Well, even unbelievers look at that and think that's ridiculous. True? Unbelievers think that we should act like Christians. <laughs> you ever had an unbeliever call you out? Hey, aren't you a Christian? Yeah. Well, then, doesn't your book say something about this? See, they know those verses, right? They'll be quick to remind you. These false teachers... 
They indulge the flesh, verse 10, with its corrupt desires. They despise authority. They are daring, verse 10, self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. If you have an NIV, it says celestial beings. ESV says the glorious ones. The word is doxas, or the word for glory. New King James has it as dignitaries. We'll come back to that. If you want to know, well, Pastor Michael, what's the purpose of this teaching? Well, the purpose of this teaching is that you would be able to identify false movements and false teachers because that's what Peter's intention was. And he's saying, here's, how, here's another way you can know. They're about the flesh. You can do whatever you want and still be fine with God. And they despise authority. There are new waves now in the professing Christian church of a new apostolic movement. Modern day apostles and prophets claiming that sometimes they know more and have more wisdom and knowledge than the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter. These are, this is the new wave now where they're speaking on par with scripture. Don't you believe it? The canon is closed. We have 66 books. Nobody's adding a 67th book. Some people in the past tried to do that. It didn't work so well. And I'm talking about people who in other religious movements said, oh, we can add this or I can add my own chapter to the Bible. You don't do that. God's word is God's word. Well, they despise authority. Probably here they have contempt for all authority. They don't want to be under authority. They're their own authority. If you come into a place where there is no authority, there's no group of elders, there's no person over this person over this person, then you may express some concern. If there's no checks and balances over money that comes into a ministry, you might want to check. Because if there's no accountability and there's no authority structure, you can take it probably to the bank that someone is benefiting personally from that and it's about them. They despise authority, they're daring, they're self-willed, which is the opposite of God-willed. And they don't even tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Now, there's two possible meanings of this group. It's either authority as in church authority or maybe even governmental authority, end of verse 10. Or it could be angelic majesties, which is how Jude has it. And we'll talk about that in a second. And so they're not even afraid to call out anybody, but in this case, it may be even angels. Have you ever heard a preacher begin to call out the devil in the middle of a sermon? And they begin to say, they begin to say, now devil! And that's how you gotta talk when you say it, right? Not sure if they go into restaurants and order their cheeseburger that way. But Greg Laurie one time did a pretty good rendition. You go into the restaurant and you say, waitress! Can I have a cheeseburger? That's the way you got to say it. So in the middle of a message, they'll start calling out the devil and challenging Satan. And it's another way to express, you know, the people in the, in the congregation start thinking, whoa, is he spiritual? Look at him calling out Lucifer. Well, I'll just tell you, not a smart idea. In fact, in the parallel account, which is in the book of Jude, go, go a little bit to your right. It's the book right before Revelation. Jude comments on this. 
It's an interesting passage because it talks about the body of Moses. But let's take a look at Jude. It's only one chapter, so we would say Jude 8. Or if you want it, Jude 1, verse 8. Yet in the same manner, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Uh, NIV says, in the very same way, verse 8, Jude 1, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But Michael the archangel, one of my favorite guys in the Bible right there, great name, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said what? The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. They enter into the realm of the spirit world, if you will, and start calling out things, thinking that they have some level of authority and do you know the irony here, folks? 2 Peter 2, if you turn back there, is that most commentators believe they're not even Christians. You want to talk about something dangerous? You're a non-Christian without the Holy Spirit in you calling out the devil, challenging him. I would say that's a pretty bad career move. Not even Michael the archangel, which I think the majority of scholars think that he's near the top in terms of power and position as an archangel. Not even he would do that. Yet these teachers come along and that's what they do. They have no respect for authority. They think that they're the only authority. There are churches that have come along, there are movements that say, unless you are baptized by our pastor and our baptismal, according to our formula, you're not saved. Can I say, look for the exit sign and run quickly to the nearest exit. Now, we know that we're supposed to do things a certain way according to the New Testament's instruction. But we, when a church starts saying, unless you're in our baptismal, with our water, with our pastor, uh-uh. See, we got issues there. The body of Christ is all over the world. And if you go to a lake or get baptized in a bathtub or whatever, and you're done, you, you get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it's a sincere baptism, that's legit. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession. And we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft. And there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com. Dot com.